everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you today. We continue a study that we started some time ago uh, that I have uh, titled Vital Questions. And uh, what we're doing is looking at questions that many of us over the course of our life have asked from time to time. And, and, uh, and we're looking to the scriptures to find an answer for some of those common questions. And our studies kind of le- led us to the book of Psalms. Because what we have discovered in the book of Psalms is that the questions that you ask on a regular basis are not new. The psalmist has already asked and answered those questions. Some of the questions that we have talked about over the time that we've been together is, is, is why am I not happy? What's wrong with me? Uh, can I, how can I get away? Why do the wicked prosper? It seems like those that don't love God do well. And I'm struggling trying to be what God wants me to be and life's hard. Why am I discouraged? And the last time we were together, we looked at the question, is there more to life than this? And I think every one of us at one time or another have asked one or maybe all of those questions. And all the questions that we looked at so far have come from challenges in our life. When things aren't good, that's when we ask the question, why is it that the wicked prosper and I'm I'm struggling. It's it's when I'm unhappy that I ask the question, is it possible to be happy? Can I ever find true happiness in life? It's when life goes wrong that I want to get away. Well, today, I want to look at a question that doesn't come from the bad experiences of our life, but it's a question that actually comes from a positive experience. It's a question that comes from a, a moment of majesty, beauty, if you will. And it's recorded for us in the book of Psalms chapter 8. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. This is a psalm that, uh, that David writes, is attributed to David. And, and David, at this point in his life, maybe walks out and he stands and he looks at the vast expanse of the heavens And it was a starry night that he could just look deep into the stars. And as he begins to look at the stars and the moon and the planets, caught up in that moment, he just recognized how insignificant he was. Have you ever found yourself looking at something that's so magnificent and so beautiful and so amazing that you just kind of or along with David, just kind of lost and recognized just how small we are. Uh, several, uh, a year ago, I guess it was, my youngest son was in El Paso as a, as a resident, and uh, Tanya and I were going down there. We went to Fort Davis in, in 2020, and the Fort Davis Mountains, if you've never been there, amazing, but there's an observatory there. And, uh, and you get to a place where there's no light, there's no light, and all of a sudden you, you see stars that you and I can't see in the city because of the lights of the city, and, and, and you can see the Milky Way, and you can see the expanse, and it might have been in one of those moments that David was looking up, and he asked the question, what is man? In light of all this that you've created, what is man? That you are mindful of hymns, the way the old King James Version says it, that you take thought of him. 
And he asks and answers that question for us in chapter 8. And he gives us four basic answers or four basic truths that answer the question. Now, I would have to tell you this. I think it's kind of funny and sad at the same time. David asked the question, what is man? Now, he's not answering the question, what is a man? And what is a woman? Because David would never have dreamed he would have to answer that kind of question. Only in the stupidity of our day-to-day would we ever come to the place where we would say, well, we just, I'm not sure that we can define a woman. Listen, if you have a problem with that, I'm going to be right outside in the concourse area at the connection corner. And I'll be happy to give you an answer to that. It's pretty simple and we can understand that, but we live in a crazy world. So David's not saying what is man versus what is woman. He is saying, as I look at the expanse of all that you've done, who am I that you would love me? Who am I that you would take note of me? And, uh, and he gives us four answers in this text that offer great insight. So if you have your Bible, look with me, if you will, at Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Isn't that a familiar psalm? You recognize it when we begin to see this. We, you, who have d- displayed your splendor above the heavens? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adverse, uh, adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with the glory and majesty. of You have made him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whoever passes through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in this beautiful song, this beautiful song that David has written, he offers insight into that question that he poses, what is man? As I look at the expanse of heaven, who are we that you would love us in in light of all that you've done? Now, there are four things that I think David does that reveal to us who we are. And, And this can change your life if you truly embrace and understand this then it changes our perspective. We begin to understand our value in this world. First of all, David wants us to understand that, number one, we are loved by God. That is an incredible truth that I pray you could wrap your mind around in our time together today. As David reflects on the stars, as he looks up at the stars and the moon and, and, and he describes, as he says, the work of your finger in heavens, at best, David is able to see maybe five or 6,000 stars in the sky. But you and I know today, there are many more than that 
We know today because of the technology that we are, uh, have access to that there are a hundred billion stars in our galaxy alone. And that there are millions of galaxies beyond our galaxy that are just as big as this galaxy. And if you want to know how big our galaxy is, if you travel from one side of our galaxy to the other at the speed of sound, which is 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 80,000 years to get from one side of our universe, our heavens, to the other, our galaxy. And when we think about what David saw and we think about what we know, well, we're even smaller than David saw, right? He was saying, what is man in light of that? And and when I give you those statistics, what is, we're just a speck. We're just a speck in the universe and the creation of God. But here's the good news. You are a special speck. You are a speck of dust that has been created in the image of God. When God created Adam in the, in, and placed him in the garden, when God created Adam, you know what he said? This is good. And I want to tell you something. When you were born, God said the same thing. This is good. You have been created in the image of God. And God loves you. David kind of speaks to that special bond in the text before us when he says, what is man that you would take thought of him or the son of man that you would care for him? That, 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 that phrase, take thought of him, can also be translated in Hebrew, what is man that you have marked him out? that you have set him apart of all the things in the universe that, that, that you would mark him and set him apart as an object of your love and your care. And the reality that God loves us and delights in us more than anything else in all creation. There is nothing else on this planet that God loves more than you. There's nothing else in the universe that God loves more than you. And I I hope that you will never forget that you are loved by God. We have an enemy that often tells us that God doesn't love us, that we don't deserve his love. But the truth of the Bible is that God loves you. And and I hope that, that if you can hold on to that, I hope you can begin to love yourself and begin to recognize that you are made in the image of God. When I was growing up, a little church that, that we went to where my dad was a pastor, we used to sing this hymn that was written by Isaac Watts called, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. Some of you remember that song, right? Alas and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? When I grew up, that's the way it was written. And we would sing that song. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Well, later on, the words were changed to that hymn. And a new hymnal came out. And it said, instead of such a worm as I, it said, for sinners such as I. 
But I'd grown up singing that I'm a worm. So, you know, when we would get to that part where it was sinners, it was just kind of confusing. Some people would say a sinner such as I, and I would say we're a worm. And other people would join me as a worm and a sinner. And I struggled with it. I'll have to be honest with you. There was a time that I struggled with that and thought, wait a minute. Are you trying to water down the Bible and say for sinners such as I? When, when Isaac Watts was right when he said that we are a worm. And then I begin to realize, nowhere in the Bible does God call us a worm. God says, I'm a son. God says, you're a daughter. God says, you are, are chosen and beloved and set apart and loved. And all of a sudden, I begin to recognize, no, I, I, I think you're right. That's a, a good change to make. In fact... We're studying through the book of the Revelation on Wednesday night, and, and what we're discovering is when we get to the end of this world, God will release his wrath and judgment on this planet in a way that you and I have never seen before. But did you know that even in God's wrath and even in God's judgment, it's all aimed at getting us to a place where we can receive his love, where we can know that we're loved, where we can walk in forgiveness, where we can walk in grace, and, and we can recognize that we are loved by the creator of the universe. Who is man that you would take thought of him? Well, he's loved. Secondly, in the text, he would remind us that not only are we loved, we're created by God. The second thing David says is that you made us a little lower than angels. The translation that I read, a little lower than God. Some translations say angels. The word that is used there is Elohim, which is the plural form of God. It's the same word that is used in the book of Genesis when, it's, when the Bible says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And Sometimes it's translated angel, sometimes translated God. I think it's appropriate to translate it God. He was saying, he was saying in the sense he has made you a little lower than God. I want to tell you something. That there's a difference between recognizing that we are made a little lower than God rather than being made a little higher than apes, right? We, we live in a world today where many would have us to believe that we're the product of chance. That you and I and our very existence is accidental as a part of an evolutionary process. It's a popular view that is held by many people that I believe are uncomfortable believing in God. And as a result of that, they have, have come up with a belief system that has freed them from any religious concepts and any system of morality. And they have invented their own substitutes. I heard the story of a pastor who was flying back home from a meeting with family and seated on the airplane, he pulled out a Bible and began to read. If you ever want to get the attention of the person beside you, try it sometime. It's a lot of fun. He pulled out a Bible and began to read and, and the person sitting next to him got a little bit nervous and, and finally spoke up and said to him, do you, you believe that book? And the pastor said, oh, yeah, I do. He said, well, I, I, just, I just don't believe that. I'm, 
I'm an atheist. And the pastor said, you're an atheist? He said, yeah. He said, so you've read this book then, right? Oh, no, no, I've, I've never read it. Well, you, you have studied, though, the religions of the world, right? And you've studied theology to come up with an understanding of what others believe about God and the theories about God. And, and, and you are familiar with all the theories of God. And as a result of that, you have come to the conclusion that there is no God, right? He said, no, no, I'm just an atheist. And the pastor said, no, you're not an atheist. You're an idiot. An atheist is a person that reads the Bible and reads everything he can find about God. And after he has read everything he can discover about what others have said, he comes to a logical conclusion that that's wrong. And he comes to a place where he believes that there's something else to counter that. And he says, it takes years sometimes to come to that conclusion. You just want to jump to the conclusion without doing the work. You're not an atheist. You're an idiot. There are a lot of idiots in the world today who just proclaim a truth without any research. Or, and so as a result of that, there are, are, are many who embrace the belief system that we are a product of chance or a random accident and a system of life. But the problem with that is that it leads us to a place where we have no value. If I'm just an accident, then there's no value to my life. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. I'm an accident. I have little importance but David, he, he rises above that and he says, no, you, you, you have made us. We are a product of creation. We're an intelligent product of an intelligent designer. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God has formed us out of dust and he breathed into us the breath of life and man has become a living soul. And he created man in his image the Bible says that we are dust and divinity. And now he even speaks to the position in creation when he says he has made us a little lower than angels. He's made us a little lower than God. He didn't make us a little higher than apes. He made us a little lower than God. Every other living creature on the planet today has a physical body but no spirit. God has a spirit, no physical body. We're in the middle. We have a physical body, but we also have a living soul, a spirit. God has created us in a unique fashion and placed us here. The idea that he created us a little lower than God means that he's created us next to God. He made us to have fellowship with God, a relationship with God. We're different than all the other animals in the world. You and I are not kin to animals. We're kin to God. There are some that would say that our closest relative is an ape. No, it isn't. You are not kin to apes. You are kin to God. You are a child of God created in the image of God. 
To be able to say that I'm created in the image of God means that I'm rational, I'm moral, I, I have a conscious, I have spiritual capacity. I'm intelligent, I, I can think, I can dream, I can plan, I can reason, I can remember. I'm different than every other animal in the world. You can't teach geography to an elephant. And you can't teach astronomy to an eagle. And you can't teach theology to a dog. But you can teach all three of those things to any child from any place on this planet. Pick them up from anywhere. Invest in them. And you'll realize that they are unique and different. We are loved by God. We are created by God. And next he says, we are crowned by God. Crowned, he says, with glory and honor. Now, those are terms that are used of a king. That's, that's who we are. You, you and I are king's kids. We come from a royal lineage. Our father is the creator of the universe, the king of kings. And you know what that means? It means that our dignity and our worth doesn't come from what we do. Some of you think that what you do gives you dignity and meaning and purpose. It's not what you do that gives you dignity and worth. It's not where you live. It's not what you own. It's not who your relatives are. We find our dignity and our meaning and our significance in the fact that we are created in the image of God. And it's only when we forget that that we have prejudice and injustice in the world. Prejudice in the world and injustice is an absolute reminder that we have forgotten that every human being on the face of the planet has been created in the image of God. Not one of us are better than another. All of us have value and meaning. We were made to have a relationship with God, but we, we are told in the Bible that sin robbed us of that relationship. Sin robbed us. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, the, the, the image of God in them was marred. And God began a process of restoration to bring us back to himself so that through faith in Jesus, we could once again be restored in right fellowship with him. But then finally, not only does he say that we are loved and we are created and we are crowned, but he also says that we are made to rule by God. God at creation made us the custodian and the manager of the world. He gave to Adam and Eve dominion. He gave them authority over all the planet. It's as if God says, I'm going to make this amazing world and I'm going to set you free to explore and develop it. And we have. We've explored this world and we found coal and oil and gas and iron and salt. We've spanned rivers 
We've dammed lakes. We've built houses and cities and cars and roads. We've made contact lenses that you can implant in a person's eye so that they can see. We've created lasers and televisions and satellites and cell phones. We've found cures for diseases. We've transplanted hearts and lungs and kidneys and pancreas. We've created art. We've created music. We've come a long way since that moment God gave us dominion over this earth. And we have subdued about everything on earth except ourselves. God has given us the capacity to control and govern, but we have failed to govern ourselves. And here's the problem. We explore and we exploit. We educate and we eradicate. We produce and we pollute. We've invented the scalpel. And we also invented shrapnel. We invented the gas chambers in Auschwitz. It took the lives of millions of people. And yet at the same time, there were at that moment, dark in history, some humans who entered into those gas chambers with their shoulders held up and their head held high, quoting Psalm 23. We've mastered most of the world and we're the mastermind behind most that's wrong with it. So the question that maybe emerges from the question David asked, what went wrong? What happened? We're loved. We're created. We're crowned. We're made to rule. What happened? Well, God gave to you and to me what I often refer to as the dignity and danger of decision. He gave us the ability to choose. Adam and Eve were in a robot in the Garden of Eden. God said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose. And they did. They chose to disobey God. They chose to go their way as opposed to his way. They chose to sin. And the result of their choice is that sin entered the world and it marred the image of God. It separated them and the relationship they have with God. God's image in us was damaged. And there was no hope. But God loves us, created us, crowned us made us to rule and came and made it possible for us to be restored and to get back what we've lost. In fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter nine, 
the, or chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews quotes this very psalm. And this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God's answer for the sin problem that we all have, that's the result of the way we've destroyed who God has created us to be, is Jesus, who himself was made a little lower than the angels, put on human flesh and came to earth and dwelt among us, paid the penalty for your sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and we have inherited their sin nature. You are a sinner today by nature because you were born to sinful parents who were born to sinful parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. But you're also a sinner by choice, by nature and by choice. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But it also says the gift of God is eternal life. That God came to earth in the person of Jesus and died to pay your debt so that he could restore you into right fellowship with himself. And today, you can know him personally. You can be restored. When sin entered the world, we became a slave to sin, and Jesus came to break the bonds of sin so that you and I could live the way he created us to and to walk in the power that he made available. And so if you're here today and have never accepted the gift of eternal life today, God says it's available. You're a sinner. You get that. You know who you are. But God loves you. And he made a way where your sin could be forgiven and restored so that you can understand you're not an accident. You're created. God, when you were born, said, it is good. And he crowned you, and we've lost our position. But he wants to restore that in Jesus so that you can live as he's called you to. So would you bow your head with me? If you're here and if you're listening and you have never made the decision to receive Jesus as Savior, maybe you are one of those people who have called yourself an atheist, but you've realized what I said a moment ago is pretty true. You're not an atheist. You just kind of made a decision without any research at all. You just kind of embraced something because you thought it sounds good. That doesn't make it right. Maybe today, as you sit here, God will reveal to you you're a sinner. And your only hope is a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And so today you can receive him by simply praying this prayer. God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me. I give you my life. Jesus, I believe you came and lived and died and rose again. And so I'm, I'm going to trust you for my salvation. I ask you to come into my life. Now, Father, even as many have prayed that prayer, I know you've heard and answered. I pray that you would answer and come into their life and give them the, the grace and strength to take that next step to begin to walk with you. 
to be restored in right fellowship with you. And for the many who are here who have accepted you as Savior, but we're not living like the king kids that we are. We're not walking in the victory you have provided for us. We, through our own choices, have allowed sin to come and, and destroy that image that you've placed within us. May we, even in these moments, confess and find forgiveness and restoration is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.